0: I told you last week about um, the early days of, of Rock Valley Bible Church. Um, told you how we began in 1998 in a uh, a basement Thursday night Bible study in a basement of a home here in in Rockford, Illinois, and uh, then two years later, in July of 2000, we then began to rent a uh, a church building. Uh, for Sunday night services, and so we met there Sunday nights for a, a couple of years and then I quit my job and uh, as an IT uh, professional and then I came up here to rockford and uh, that at that point, we still were Sunday nights. but then on March third, two thousand and two, we met on the first time on a Sunday morning at Rock Valley Bible Church and we met at Rockford Christian High School. We rented that building for about ten years and uh, we 've been here for about ten years or so. Uh, but that first sermon i preached march 3rd 2002 um was 20 years ago really our first sunday morning public meeting that we had it's a church we had about 10 families and uh at that point uh in the life of the church my my ministry was really entirely ahead of me um you know we just i just quit my job a couple months earlier and had come up here we okay I'm just getting some static. That's okay. Um, I, I quit my job. I'd come up here. And, and um, what I did on that very first Sunday is I put forth my heart as a pastor of a church. Uh, and I pledged that day to those who were there, those 10 families or so, to do all that I could by God's grace, my heart's desire to fulfill my pastoral calling at, at Rock Valley Bible Church. I didn't know long, how long it would last. Um, In in fact, even when we began the church, we were not financially independent. We were supported by a church in DeKalb, um, which supported us financially. They were were behind us, but we needed people and we needed resources in order to continue on. And by God's grace, we have continued on for for 20 years. And and I took as my text the, the farewell address that Paul gave to the Ephesian elders at Miletus in Acts chapter 20, verses 18 through 35, I just, that was the, the passage that, that Paul spoke to these pastors before he would leave them and I, I felt that, that was a good passage for me to just pledge what I want to do as a pastor because it outlines of all any passage in the New Testament most clearly the duties of a pastor. It, it speaks about a pastor's deep concern and love for his flock to shed tears for the people of the church. It, it speaks of the, the character of pastoral work. Just serving and giving one's life for the flock. It speaks of temptations to ministry. To shrink back from speaking everything that's profitable. It speaks of the dangers in the ministry. About how wolves are coming. It speaks of the message that pastors to speak. Repentance and faith and the gospel, the grace of God. It speaks of the pastor's obligation to warn the flock and to protect the sheep. and And, and no one doubts... Any reader, writer, no one doubts the importance of this passage that speaks of pastoral ministry. Alexander Strauss says this. He says, Acts 20 is a priceless treasure trove of wisdom and insight for all church leaders. Paul's instruction and pleas to the Ephesian elders are are just as urgently needed today as they were in the days of the shores of Miletus. And then he turns the attention to um, elders today. He then says, Every new generation of church leaders needs to discover afresh Paul's instructions to the Ephesian elders. Acts 20 is the Holy Spirit summons to you to come here, learn, and shepherd God's church according to God's instruction. That is written to elders or pastors of, of churches. And it was only appropriate twenty years ago for me to speak of the responsibilities of pastor and to lay out my own heart's desire to be everything that Paul lays out for a pastor should be. And and I needed to hear them. And in the providence of God, we find ourselves in that same text this morning. This time, though, it's not a topical message of just saying, okay, well, I want to address issues of of pastors. This time we've been working our way through the book of Acts for the past two years. As we work from chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 10, 15, we've come to Acts chapter 20. So you can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. It is the providence of God that that brings us here, and um, and it's interesting that that uh, though we find ourselves in a section of scripture that's addressed to elders, the comments here really are you know most appropriate for Ryan. I'm not sure where Darren and and Brian are at the moment, but they they should be hearing this. Maybe it's the kind of thing when you know that you should be hearing something you don't want to hear it, and so you don't answer the phone call, you don't respond to the text. You say well, I don't want to hear that. Maybe that's why. My Darren and Brian aren't here in the room at this moment, but that's okay. But even though that's the formal primary application, it still is applicable to all of us in the pew as well. I'm going to think about some ways of this passage, even though it speaks about the duties of pastors, how much it helps all of us as well. It's helpful for you all to know and embrace the role of your church leaders, what God has called elders to be and to do so that you can know what what to expect from them. You can expect them to teach you and lead you and love you and care for you. But it also helps to know what you can't expect from them. You can't expect them to be with you at all times. You can't expect them to solve all the problems in your life. You can't expect them to make decisions in your life. I mean, elders are there to love and to lead and care, not to control your lives, not to dictate your every decision. But it's helpful for you to see a proper expectation for them. Another thing, it's helpful for you to understand how they're to live their lives in such a manner that you are to follow. That's why Paul laid out when he talked about elders and overseers of churches. He talked about character qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. The character quality. You want people in the church. You want people in church leadership to be those you admire and want to follow after. That's why the writer of the Hebrews says this. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders... Those who spoke to you the Word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You ought to expect from church leaders to live in such a way that you say, I want to live that way. I want to follow their life. Of course, none of us follow the Lord perfectly, right? But the elders of the church should be put forth as examples to follow. Paul says that. says, I live my life. Follow my example. Third, it's, it's helpful for you to know your own role in supporting the leaders of the church if the church is ever to go well. <clears throat> Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So, in other words, right, submit to your elders and encourage them and be such willing followers that that um, the, the, the leaders of the church would gladly lead you. Gladly be joyful over that. And here at Rock Valley Bible Church, right, we know that we will give an account to the Lord for how we have loved and cared and shepherded and led you. And your role is to really help in that responsibility to make leaders in the congregation fit together and work together well. It's better for you. It's interesting though as i was reading preparing for this um one guy was talking about just how many people come into church what's in it for themselves have, have no regard for the unity of the church or what's better for the church they just want what's best for themselves That's why so many people leave churches because oh well the church isn't isn't good for me right now right because of this or that or some program or this or whatever something just in it for themselves rather than in it for the good of the church but you need to know that there's a, a symbiotic relationship between leaders and congregation between shepherd and flock that you can do your part to try to help in that, in that role. So Acts chapter 20, let's catch the context of Paul's words here. We've seen these maps over and over again. Hopefully by seeing them again and again, it's going to pound them into your memory you'll never forget. Paul's on his third missionary journey. All of his missionary journeys have gone out of the, the great church there in Antioch. And uh, he left that great church some three or four years uh, before this time. And he traveled through southern Galatia, eventually landing in Ephesus, where he remained for three years. He was teaching publicly, he was teaching house to house there, three years that church and fostering that church. That's why we're going to see him coming back to Ephesus. We're going to see him back to these people, the elders of the church at Ephesus, having such a love because he was with them for three years. When he left Ephesus, he went north to Troas, and then he crossed over to Macedonia where he was encouraging the disciples. And then he made it down to Achaia, which is where Corinth was, probably wrote the book of Romans, there from Corinth. And then he returned back all the way from Macedonia, back to Troas, and now he makes his way down to Miletus. And you can trace all these travels through Acts chapter 18 and 19 and 20, and here we come with Miletus. It's right here from Miletus that Paul was there on the coast, and he summoned the Ephesian elders about 30 miles away. He said, said I can't go to you because I want to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost. My time is short, but you can come to me, we can spend a little bit of time, and then I can head on my way to Jerusalem. So that's where our text takes place. You picture the scene, the elders of the church have been summoned, they come and they're with Paul, they're probably maybe on the beach, um, they, they love Paul, Paul loved them, and he speaks with them, as never to speak with them again. Here's a counsel that he gives to the shepherds of the church, which is my my message this morning is entitled, Counsel for Shepherds. Paul said this, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time I was from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God." And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. I coveted no one silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And then saying those things in verse 36 he knelt down and he prayed with them all and there was much weeping on the part of Paul and they embraced Paul and they kissed him. And they were sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken that they did not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship And we'll see next week, they accompany him to the ship and he's off to Jerusalem where he lands in chapter 21. But this morning it is in Acts chapter 20. Um, This is the second part of my message that was last week, went through the the whole text. And uh, if you see this passage, this whole sermon from 18 through 35, you see that it it breaks down nicely into four sections. The first section begins at the beginning and then ends in uh, verse 21. And the second section goes from 22 through 24, and the third one from 25 to 31, and the last one from 32 through 36, 35. And all of these sections are, are just outlined with this word, I'm not sure if you can see it there in your text, it says, and now, and now, and now. That's in, in the Greek text as well, it's kainoun, kainun, kainun, kai means and, and noon means now, and now, and now, like he, he changes his different, um, different topics. And so that's why when I preached the message 20 years ago, I had four points. That's why last week I went through two points, and this morning we're going to go through two points. So last week, if you remember, we looked at Paul's ministry from 18 through 21. That's where Paul talked about the character of his time in Ephesus. He said his whole time there was spent serving the Lord. He said he was serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials and hardships. He said he didn't shrink back from telling them anything that was profitable and helpful. This whole time there. He taught them publicly. He taught them house to house. He, he taught to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This was his message with them constantly. Like, turn from your sins and turn to Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the message that we have. Uh, Paul said even in Corinth, when he was in Corinth, he preached nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is our message. Turn from your sin, repent, trust in Jesus. Well, in a way, Paul fulfilled that ministry among them as he was serving them, as he was speaking with them, everything that was profitable. And last week, I told you that after 20 years of my ministry, I had set that up as sort of the, the division and the direction of the ministry that I wanted to go. And I said, this is sort of my midterm exam. And, and I asked you all, I said, how, how have I done? Like, you can evaluate how well I've done about those things, about serving the Lord with all humility and tears and trials, and and, and teaching you in public and and in your houses, of declaring repentance and declaring faith. And shortly after my message, after I said, this is more like you are grading me for my midterm exam, if you will, I received a message from someone who texted me and said, Steve, by God's grace, you've passed your midterm. (laughs) That was super encouraging. In fact, as I like timestamp that, that was said kind of probably right as I sat down is when that was done. Just right there from the pew, just I'm thankful for that. It says, Steve, by God's grace, you've passed your midterm. May God continue to give you grace and mercy to pass the final exam. We're grateful for you and for your family. Thankful for that text. That's part of what it means to, uh, to make leading you a joy, as it says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. I also received several affirmations from you as I, as I mixed and mingled with you last Sunday. Just several people just said steve you've done well thank you for your work thank you for your service and i appreciate that i received even also received a long letter of appreciation being thankful for being a pastor for how my role and even bringing up some things that i forgot how i had pastored someone and that they remembered And to all that i'm thankful and i'm just trusting god that the same grace that allows me to do that for 20 years will allow me to do that for years in the future And I'm praying for the elders of the church to minister with me, with us, together in this. Well, as we looked at that last week, Paul's ministry, we also saw Paul's destiny. That's what Paul was expecting to happen to him in the future. His plans were to continue from my leaders to be in Jerusalem at Pentecost. And he was expecting hardship. It says that he was expecting imprisonment and many afflictions. Um, If if you look at that, verse 23, the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment And afflictions await me. It was not just a hunch. It's not like I'm going to Jerusalem and you know and it it might turn well. I think it's going to turn bad. It wasn't like that. It was the Holy Spirit somehow was telling him audibly that he is going to Jerusalem, he's going to be imprisoned. He's going to Jerusalem, he's going to face many afflictions. But he was willing to suffer uh, for the kingdom of God. He was willing to suffer. This was his destiny. Verse 24 puts his life in perspective. He says, I do not account my life as of any value. Nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul said, So my life's not of value. So my only value is that I just I just continue this ministry that God has given to me. It was Paul's heart, it is the high calling of every pastor, not to live for ourselves. But to live for the Lord, to finish well, to accomplish all that He's given us to do. And as much as that is a pastor, and that's for all of us as well. Is that not right? Application-wise? Like, like, you might be in different places and in different work, off at work environments, whether it's school or whether it's an office, whether it's on the field. Wherever you are, whatever your lot in life, if you're a mother or your father, right, whatever your lot in life, that's where you are. And God has determined when and where you would live and he's sovereign over your life even what you're doing is what what god has ordained for you and so you as well want to finish your course faithful until the end well in this section now beginning in verse 25 paul turns from his own future then to the future of the elders of the church in ephesus i'm calling this paul's prophecy verses 25 through 31 and i say prophecy here not in the sense that paul received some special revelation of what's going to happen to these elders but in the sense that Paul had a, an experience with, with church leadership, and he knows what awaits elders at the church of Ephesus, and, and through his common sense and wisdom and experience, he's prophetically saying, you know what, this is going to happen to you. So I, I could have put Paul's destiny and the elders' destiny, I could have put that there, but that's not so parallel in my outlines here. But what Paul is saying of these elders, what's going to happen of them? And first of all, he says, here's, here's what's going to happen. First of all, Paul's going to leave. He's talking about his departure. Verse 25, and now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Basically, he says, you know what, here's my prophecy is that I'm leaving and we're not going to see each other ever again. And such news was difficult for those elders of Ephesus to hear. There was a bond of love between Paul and these men that that went deep. Um, they loved their time together. And then to think about departing never to see Him again brought them to tears. In fact, that's how the scene ends. Do you remember verse 36? We said these things. He prayed with them all. And verse 37, there was weeping on the part of all. Paul was weeping and the elders were weeping and they were bracing one another. They were kissing one another and they were sorrowful. Why were they sorrowful? Verse 38, most of all, because of the word that he'd spoken, that they would not see his face again. Um, I, I can relate to these words. Um, this fall, uh, we dropped Stephanie off at Boyce College in Louisville, and uh, we were there for a day of orientation in which they just basically, a day. I'm not sure it started 10 in the morning and went all the way till maybe 8 o'clock at night, I can't quite remember, but we were there, and they had some things for parents, and had some questions you could ask and answer, and the faculty was there, and And then it finished up with a final gathering, really corporate worship, with all the new students and all their parents who were there. And then Al Moller, the president of the college, gave a message on Luke chapter 2 that speaks about Jesus growing in, in wisdom and favor with God and with men, and how saying goodbye to children going off to college is a natural process of growing up. It was a helpful perspective. Um, and and then at the near the end of the service one of the the faculty members came up and they led us in a time of prayer and at one point they said i'm not just going to pray from up top i want all of you to pray for your child just put your arm around your child so mom and dad you can surround sandwich them right right in between you and and hug them close and i want you just to pray for them as they embark upon this new chapter of life and um, i was on one side I think I was on this side. I can't remember. I was hugging her. You were on the other side. Yvonne was. And uh, I tried to pray, and I could not pray. In fact, tears come to my eyes now. So I think about saying goodbye to Stephanie. Because she was just in a good place. She was doing a good thing. And, and even these elders, right, just seeing Paul, he's doing a good thing. He's off ministering, bringing the gospel to people. And I knew I'd see Steffi again. In fact, she was here a few weeks ago. She's she's coming home Tuesday night. She's coming home Tuesday. I'll, I'll, I'll see her Tuesday. And uh, she can be back here for, for fall break. Um, so I'm going to see her again. And yet there I was just weeping and sobbing so hard I couldn't cry. Remember that? Yvonne could, cry, could, could pray. She prayed. I couldn't pray. And I imagine that similar scene of just, just there. And I can only imagine what it's like for these elders, right? To have such a bond that they can never see his face again. And I, I want to envision the time when when I leave Rock Valley Bible Church, never see it again, I just hope the scene reduplicates itself. Elders around me, me around elders, just tearful that I can't be back here again. And i say our, our relationships are on that trajectory, just so you know. Good, healthy relationships among us, elders. I, I so want to, to see this uncontrived, just expression of affection towards one another. Well, as Paul thought about his departure, the elders in the church, he reflected upon his own ministry. He says, okay, here's my friend, I'm leaving. And then before he could talk more about what's going to happen in the future, then he, he talked about his own ministries reflect upon. He says, therefore, I testify to you this day, I'm innocent of the blood of all. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And what Paul is talking about here is the imagery of the watchman. Um, Ezekiel 33 speaks about it. The, the passage of the Lord puts forth to Ezekiel, this prophet, this preacher, the scenario of wartime. I'm just going to read this longer section from Ezekiel 30, verses 1-9. through 9. Ezekiel says this, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of this land take a man from among them, "...and make him their watchman. And if he sees the sword coming upon a land and blows his trumpets and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take the warning and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and he did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow his trumpet... So the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes away any of them. That person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I'll require at the watchman's hand. Right? See, so you know the, the, the scenario, right? The war's up there. The watchman is supposed to speak out. And if he speaks out, people ignore the warning. Blood's upon them. But if they come, the attacking army's coming, and the watchman is silent. Blood be upon him. The Lord then applied this to Ezekiel as the preacher. He says, So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give it you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. In other words, the blood's not upon you. And that's exactly what Paul used here in the imagery upon himself. He says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all. I've been a faithful watchman, I've blown the trumpet. I have give you the warning. Maybe it's not of an army coming, but it's the wrath of God coming. And you need to repent from your sins. You need to believe in Jesus. That's my message. Right? And if someone perishes in Ephesus, it's on them, it's not on me. That's what Paul says in verses 25 and 26. And the reason why he said is because I've declared to them the whole counsel of God. I've not shrunk back. I've not hidden anything what God has told me, that I have told everyone. I just say, I have sought by God's grace to do this. I've sought to declare the whole counsel of God at Rock Valley Bible Church. One of the things that I love about Rock Valley Bible Church is the tone and the pattern that we have set. Here's a church. Right? We open a book of the Bible. In this case, right now, it's the book of Acts. And we started two years ago, and we just start working verse by verse through the entire book from beginning until end. And when Acts is finished, we'll pick up another book. And I'm praying about maybe Revelation is the next book to, to look at. But we're going to look at that just from beginning to end, and that's just the cadence of what, what we do. And, and this thing, this, this week, I looked at the things I preached at Rock Valley Bible Church, just to kind of give you a flavor. And I started with a year in First Thessalonians. That was back in August of 2000. I continued with five years teaching through Matthew. And along the way, I preached through Habakkuk as well in a month. I we took nine months in Colossians, a month in Philemon, three months in Malachi, a year and a half through 1st and 2nd Peter. I spent a month in Jonah, two years in Hebrews, a month in Ruth, three months in 2nd Timothy, 15 months in Mark, three months of the Psalms of Ascents, a year in Philippians, six months in Leviticus, yes, six months in Leviticus, For some of you, it seemed like six years in Leviticus, but we were six months in Leviticus, taking a chapter a Sunday. Nine months in First, Second, and Third John, three years in Romans, six months in Proverbs. Then COVID hit, and then as we came out of COVID, and just like the first time we started meeting publicly together um, here after my sabbatical, August 2020, we've been going through the Book of Acts, and I figure that we're going to finish this spring sometime as we just understand it. And the reason I do that is to for several reasons, but one is just to model for you how to study the book of the Bible. Just take it, read it, understand it passage by passage. But I've, I've preached through 21 books of the Bible along the way, right? A bunch of short series, whether they're Christmas or Easter, special occasions, or, or things in my heart, or things I need to communicate. I, I've done that. And, and, and with these things, some of you I need, even know can remember, well, Yeah, I came to Rock Valley Bible Church when Steve was in Matthew chapter 8. I remember it. I came when he was in Romans chapter 12. I came when he was in Philippians, right? You can understand when when that was, just the warp and woof of how we have preached through that. Um, You might even say, yeah, I came when we were preaching through Leviticus. And I say, you're a liar because when I preached through Leviticus, nobody came and stayed because they heard and they saw, Leviticus, I don't want to do that. And they went off to someplace else. Really, like our growth during Leviticus was not very much. That's why I'm hoping maybe in Revelation, a lot more excitement about Revelation, maybe we'll we'll go more at that time, I'm not sure. But anyway, I did some calculation, and not just numbering by books, but I numbered pages by pages, like how much have I preached through? And as of today, finishing Acts chapter 20, I've preached through 135 out of 268 pages of the New Testament, that's 50.3%. I'm just over Half of getting through the new testament that means i'm halfway through the new testament i guess i'll need another 20 years at rock valley bible church until my final exam but after preaching through all the new testament i i mean i don't know if i can make it that long i mean to be honest it's a lot i'm guessing i preach through five percent of the old testament maybe so it'll be another 150 years before i be able to preach through all of the bible um So I may not have time to do that, but it's interesting here. Neither did the Apostle Paul. He was only three years in Ephesus. So when he speaks about the whole counsel of God, it doesn't mean every verse in the Bible. It just means all the will of God. There's nothing that I preach that when I leave, the elders are going to say, oh yeah, Paul forgot this. Here's something else. As Spurgeon says, what's, what's new is not true. And what's true is not New. So he said, I've preached everything to you. And I think what it means here is it's not skipping over anything. And I just say that just this pattern of just going through Bible just relentlessly like this is unusual. I was talking with a pastor recently who said he was going to preach through 1 Corinthians. I said, oh, really? I've not done that. I, I so look forward to preaching through 1 Corinthians because it speaks so much to our American culture. And then I just said, well, how long are you take? He said, oh, about 10 weeks, I think. <laughs> I was like, Okay, and I think you can do it in, in 10 weeks. I think you can faithfully preach through 1 Corinthians in 10 weeks. You can do that. But his approach is just not my approach. I checked up recently and, and, and discovered that the way he's getting through in 10 weeks is just he's skipping some sections. So he's sort of like catching some of it, but not all of it. That I have never done. I've never said, okay, and I know people who preach through Romans, get to Romans chapter 9, and they say, ah, oh, it's too controversial. We're just going to go to Romans chapter 12. No, you go through Romans 9. I mean, that's, that's the treasure of the book, actually. But I, I've, not, I've not just skipped. We started a book. We've preached through it to the end. Maybe I've preached too slowly. But I want to preach everything that God has for us in the book. And it's not to say there's nothing left to preach. There's lots more to preach. Um, Spurgeon just speak, spoke about the treasure trove of how, of how deep it is. That's for sure. But it is to say that we're not, we're not skipping sections. We want to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And and, and I've not skipped over anything that's gone in the text there. And and I know pastors can do that. They can skip chapters. Or they can just preach on topics that they want to preach on. Skip over doctrinal or controversial doctrines. But my heart from the beginning at Rock Valley Bible Church has just been to just open the Bible and just teach it. And and I, I love the culture that we have set there. That's the expectation. We finish one book, we're going to go to another, and we're just going to dig and we're just going to let the, the topic of that, that come and talk to us. Now, last week I shared with you some clips. I have one more clip to share with you here this morning. This is from 20 years ago and just setting forth a vision of my wanting to preach the whole counsel of God. And Here's what I said. Let me make sure my volume is up. My volume all the way up. Here we go. And when I leave Rock Valley Bible Church... Either by natural causes, when God takes me home five years from now, or 55 years from now, or I'm in prison for the gospel, or when you send us to plant another church, listen, my goal is I might be innocent of the blood of all men, because I've faithfully communicated the whole counsel of God to you. That's what Paul said to do, that's what I want to do, and I feel... Strongly in my heart that the best way to do this is through expositorily preaching the scriptures, passage by passage, verse by verse, we let God determine the topic and not us. And by God's grace, we've been able to do that. Just letting God determine the topic and as faithfully as we can, just opening it up verse by verse. I think that's just declaring everything that God has for us, the whole counsel of God. Well, after Paul then declares himself innocent, he puts forth the fundamental duty of elders of the church, right? Here's his, his prophecy to just say, okay, this is what you need to do. He says, and, and of any verse in all of this uh, sermon that he gave, verse 28 is the most important because it sets forth the fundamental duty of elders it says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God to obtain with His own blood. This verse is probably the key to everything because it, it speaks just clearly and succinctly of what a pastor is to do, what an elder is to do. It speaks of priority. It speaks of God's sovereignty in His life. It speaks about tenderness. It gives vision and direction. It, first of all, it speaks about the importance of an elder First, watching over his own soul, and then watching over the flock. You can't watch over the souls of others if your own soul is in turmoil. The Pharisees were great about watching over the souls of others, though neglecting their own. Remember, they were looking at, and they could see a dust speck in someone else's eye, though they had a big log in their own eye. Jesus called them blind guides. That should not be the case with elders. It is, verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves. Alexander Straw put this of the the importance. He said, the elders are responsible to first guard their own spiritual lives. First individually, then as a body of elders. This takes effort, self-discipline, desire, thought, prayer, and obedience to God's Word. It also takes an environment of honest, open group accountability between elders. You, You might ask, as a church elder, what do I do? First of all, any church elder. And this, by the way, is for all of you as well. This is your first priority in life. Take seriously your own spiritual state before God. Be attentive to your own spiritual growth, your daily walk with Christ, your moral integrity, your biblical and theological beliefs. And then Strzok writes, my dear friends, this is your first duty before God and your congregation. Any father leading a family, any mother leading a family, first look to your own soul before you look to souls of your family that was paul's counsel to timothy he said 1 timothy 4 16 keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching persist in this for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers and it's been my aim to cultivate my own spiritual life that i might speak and act with integrity i sought to do this just reading the scriptures i mean why do you think i memorize so much of the bible it's for my own soul So I can know what the Bible says, so it sinks deep into my heart. I just find there's a way if I memorize it, it's on my heart and on my mind all the time. Fellow elders, elder, I'm sorry to do the same. And it's difficult. Richard Baxter said this of, of pastors he says this the enemy has a special eye on you. You want to know the best way to take down a church? Take down the leaders. Corrupt them spiritually. Let them just neglect their spiritual walk. And they'll fall. So watch over your souls, Paul says. And by the way, Acts 20, verse 28, gives every motivation for us to do so. Because we have confidence, right, that elders have been appointed by God's design. It says, verse 28, Be careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers." So Paul is thinking here about those in Ephesus it was the Holy Spirit who made them overseers of that church. Yes, certainly. Right? Paul laid hands on them as he did in every church right? and, and anointed them oil like with, with his elders. just God's confirmation, yes, you are, but, but Paul knew full well that as he was doing that on a human level, it was the Holy Spirit on a divine level that was appointing them as elders. And Ryan, you've been appointed by God, by the Holy Spirit to be an elder here of this church. November twenty fifth, 2018, you and Ryan and May 15th 2011 Darren was appointed an elder made an overseer by the holy spirit by, it's interesting by the way also the holy spirit has made you overseers the, the, these are elders called from Miletus they're also overseers that is one who, who oversees the flock it's the it's the shepherd who gets on the hill and kind of can watch the flock below so he can guard and 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 watch out on top that's an overseer one who leads And then in verse 28, it's interesting here, it says that you've been made an overseer to care for the church of God. Other translations here say to pastor the church of God or to shepherd the church of God. And that's how we get this word pastor. And so what we see here is just kind of a a subtle sidelight here, but elders are overseers, are pastors. They're just different names for the same office. An elder might speak more of wisdom. And an overseer might speak more of leadership, and a pastor might speak more just of care and concern and love, but that's all the picture of who elders are. That's why as I announced last week, we're going to be doing some elder visits, some pastoral visits uh, coming this fall to all formal members of Rock Valley Bible Church. If you get visited by Ryan, you're visited by a pastor, or Darren, or, or Brian, those are Pastors. I'm not the pastor of a church. We're all pastors together, just to help you in terminology. All elders are pastors. I'm just freed up full time to do it. And uh, they are burdened by, by working um, a job to care for their family. I'm, I'm grateful for every moment they put into the church. I am. Well, further than that, we have every motive, not just knowing that sovereignly elders in the church have been made overseers by the Holy Spirit, not only did it, it was shepherd the church of God, but here it is, he obtained it with his own blood. Christ Jesus obtained the church with his blood. Um, some translation says that he bought the church. Jesus died for the church. He gave himself up for the church. And this is the church that we get to pastor and shepherd. This is the church that we get to be part of, the the church that God loves. And the thought that is always stirred in my heart and my mind. I can't remember when I heard this, but it was more than 20 years ago before I ever became a, an elder or pastor of a church. I remember someone saying that Jesus loves the church, Steve, far more than you love the church. Because he died for the church. You've not yet died for the church. And all your sacrifice is only minimally catching at the love that, that Jesus has for the church. The hymn we sang today from Timothy Dwight, I love thy church, O God. Her walls before thee stand, dear as thee, apple of thy eye engraven on thy hand. It just speaks about the church of God, that, that God loves. It's like the apple of his eye, right? You touch, you touch your eye, right? You're, you're really sensitive to your eye. We touch the church. When someone touches a church, it's sensitive to God, because He cares for the church. He loves the church. He sacrificed for the We are here today only because Christ Jesus came, shed His blood for our sins. Interesting subtle note to the Trinity here. It's the church of God, which God obtained with His own blood it's because Jesus was God that He sacrificed Himself for the church. We have every reason to love the church. Elders, pastors should love the church. People of the church should love the church. They should love being here. You should love the involvement, love the engagement of the church. Because God does. God compares the church to a a bride. He's preparing for His son. Do husbands love their brides? Absolutely. Does Christ love the church? Absolutely. Far more than any of us will ever love the church. Well, getting back here to Acts chapter 20, Paul begins to address not his leaving, future leaving, but the dangers that the elders will will face as he leaves 29 and thirty. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. It's interesting, when I spoke this message um, 20 years ago, this was all theory for me. This was not experience. Um, Now it's experience. We've had wolves come in. We've had people from our own selves try to Draw away disciples after them. It's not often, but there are times when people have come to the church, they have shown their colors, and we've asked them to leave. There have been times when I have even relative new people here just discerned something's not right and rebuked them pretty strongly. I had someone coming recently who just was talk, 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 and I sit and I, I had a conversation with them after church. Probably about ten minutes. I just didn't say anything, and some of the things you were saying was good, and some of it was like, "But you know what?" He's just domineering and just pushing a leader and pushing him up. And I, and I said this to him: I said, "Listen, can I teach you a lesson? Can I just tell you something?" And he was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" I said, "You need to learn what James says: be quick to listen and slow to speak. You've been talking to me here for ten minutes, and I've said very little. Be interested in someone else." right? Be quick to listen and slow to speak. And that wasn't the first. He'd been here a couple other times. But that's, that's getting a wolf out of here. He's just going to dominate and abuse you just with overbearing conversations. And I said it. Well, he's not been back since. So if he comes back, maybe I'll, I'll say some more. That's not often I say that. I've not said that to any of you. I don't think I've said that to anyone else before, but I love the church. I want to protect the flock. Uh, and uh, I talked with someone. He had a conversation with someone else. And he said, oh, well, what are you talking about? I had a conversation with somebody else, and it seemed like fine. So I called that someone else that Sunday afternoon. I said, can I tell me, Can you tell me about your interaction with this guy? He said, yeah, I felt trapped. And I wanted to get out, but I couldn't get out because he was talking too much. I'm like, there's a wolf. He's not, he's not thinking about the church. He's thinking about himself. There have been, occasionally, I, mean, I can tell you stories, and my one instance of a man who's particularly being divisive, I was patient with him, talked to him about many on many occasions, but I remember even it got to the point on the phone. I just said, You know, why are you even coming to Rock Valley Bible Church? And he said to me, he said, Why am I coming? Why are you coming to Rock valley bible church like i 'm kind of the pastor right here i 'm a pastor right of the church, and i'm i 'm preaching that, and he was just hostile It got so bad at one point that I told him, you know what, you're not welcome anymore at Rock Valley Bible Church. And he said, you can't stop me from coming to church and processing with the elders. Um, it, we, were, we were that close to putting it, going to the police and asking him for an order of protection not to be here because he's so disruptive. Um, now, it's interesting, you, you don't know much about that because a lot of this is like behind-the-scenes sort of ministry, a lot of, uh, yeah, think about what sheep knows that the wolf is, is just over the hill or just kind of coming, right? It's the shepherd who goes around, and deals with the wolf, and gets it gone. The sheep don't even know. That. <laughs> I love this grass. It's kind of one of those unsung things that need to, need to take place. But I have a responsibility to protect the church. Again, it's not often. But there are times when people of the church are just being divisive. I remember early on, early on, maybe first two years or so of the, the church. There was a time we had a men's meeting at church to make some sort of decision that's going to affect us all. And one man spoke up in the, in, in the meeting and basically said something like, I don't understand what goes around here. Like, Steve, I don't understand what you're doing. I can't understand what's going here. Well, this is not right. And he just kind of went on and on. I was like, okay. Well, he was leading one of our small groups. So that was like a Wednesday night meeting maybe on Friday night. I went to his home. He was leading a small group, was there, and then afterwards took him aside and just said, hey, do you realize what what you said on Wednesday night and what you're doing here? Does it just make sense that you are leading this small group if you're saying those sorts of things? And he fully admitted to me, no, it didn't, and so he stepped down. So I forget what happened to that group after that, but that's part of pastoring, right? When wolves are there, when divisive people are coming, a pastor will not sacrifice the sheep for the sake of the one. That's not, that's not pleasure to do, but it is. I, I, I'm knowing of the danger. It's what pastors need to do. That's, it says, after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So in a place of authority, there are a few times you need to watch people and just say it's, it's, it's not good for our flock. And I love how Paul says to deal with it. He says in verse 31, therefore, be alert. Yes, the shepherd's got to be alert. He can't be sleeping. Be alert. Remembering that for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Basically, he says this. Okay, so when, when you're thinking about dealing with flock, with, with wolves, then um, you, you need to remember what I did. You remember how I dealt with things. Remember that for three years, I loved that church and was with you night and day. And my hopes, my dreams, the pastor of church, Darren and Ryan and Brian, someday, you think about shepherding the church. Even when I'm gone, you think about, oh yeah, I remember Steve when he was he was just faithful about doing his shepherding ministry. I remember that night and day for three years. Night and day for twenty years. Listen, so I know what it takes. I've not been perfect in things. And if anything, I default far more to mercy than I do this. But there are some times where you gotta stand up, and be strong. If something's going to come in to threaten your family, you're going to stand up strong against that. And The church is a family of God. We've got to stand up against those threats. All right, well, let's move to my last point, and I'll be quick, I promise. Uh, finally, we look at Paul's security. And uh, this, another and now, we see in verse 32, and now, he says, Now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you inheritance among those who are sanctified. And uh, basically here, his security in leaving these guys is that God's got this. You know, it's not, oh, you got this. No, it's it's God's got this. <laughs> it's His. And I'm commending you to God, right? Here, here you are. I am just, you know, you are God's. And and as as Paul took these elders, the leaders of the church, basically said, God, it's yours. I've done all I can do. And I'm walking away. And I think Paul was perfectly secure in that. Secure in the arms of God. And I love how Paul didn't say, now I know you're wise enough. Now I know you're strong enough. Now I know you're bold enough. Now I know you've got it enough within you. No. I know that God has it in you to keep you. That was just security. In prayer meeting this morning, we looked at um, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, just to stir our thoughts to pray. No temptation has overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And we, just, we look at it. what that says is basically, right, when temptation comes, you know that God is in control of your temptation. It's not going to come too much. No temptation is overtaking you. It's not common to man. God is faithful. He's not going to let you be tempted beyond your ability. When a temptation comes, you need to know that it's not too great. But with that temptation, he's also going to provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You can walk in that way. And so I think likewise of the church. He gave it to God, and God's going to protect that church and not bring upon the church more than it can handle. It's going to protect the church that it might know the way of escape as well. And I love what it's not only just with God, but it's also the word of His grace. I commend you to God and to the word of His grace. I commend you to the gospel, why we constantly need to go back to christ and him crucified when we need constantly go back that it. it's not our works it's not the things we do it's not our our efforts it's god and his grace all to us and, and there is this message right there is this sense in which the gospel comes to us it sanctifies us it purifies us it gives us hope it gives us strength it's in titus chapter 2 and verse 13 i think the grace of god has come teaches us to deny ungodliness and unrighteousness and to walk in the right way. The grace of God is what empowers us over our weaknesses, over our struggles. It's God and the word of his grace. To so reflect on the gospel. That's why I said to Corinth, I, I preach nothing except Christ Jesus and him crucified. The gospel constantly upon us is what's going to strengthen these elders, going to strengthen us. And, and the word of his grace able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. The gospel of his grace is enough to keep us and sustain us until that day when we get the inheritance. And then Paul speaks about his own sacrifice. He says, okay, listen, I'm giving you to God. Now it's for myself. Um, I'm not in this for me. He talks about his own, his own coveting. He says, I coveted no one's silver, gold, or apparel. You yourselves know how these man's hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. Like, in other words, when I was there with you, like, I, 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 didn't, I wasn't here for the money. I, I didn't want your gold. I didn't want your silver. Uh, I didn't want your, your nice clothes. And you know that I worked. Paul was working full-time when he was among them. I'm thankful to God that you have allowed me to work at pastoring full-time. Uh, a laborer is worthy of his wages. It's okay with that. But Paul didn't. And he labored. He got his, he got his, his necessities with his own hands. This is in verse 35. And all these things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And you should remember in the context, right? He's bringing back this gift he's got. He's going to give it to those in Jerusalem. And I just say that uh, I've not been in pastoral ministry for the money. In fact, I think this statement's true. If not, it's really close to be true. I do believe that I earned more money 20 years ago before I was a pastor than I'm earning today like inflation adjusted and everything my salary was just raw numbers my salary was more back then than it is today and that's not to that's not to say oh oh, steve um it's just to say this there's a sacrifice involved and i'm okay with god has provided everything we need right we're we're fine but there's a sacrifice that every pastor right pastors shouldn't be in the ministry for money Yet many times pastors are. When they are in it for the money, they disqualify themselves. As Paul says here, I, I didn't covet your things. I wanted to give, not to get. And God has provided for us all things that we need. We just not be for, in it for the money. And, and that's that's my pledge as well. I just want to serve you and love you out of a heart of love, not for a paycheck. let's Let's pray. Fathers, I have been in the full-time pastoring for over 20 years now, just reflecting upon this again, and um, just would pray that you would continue your grace. It is God, and it's the word of His grace that's able to build us up. And that's what we look upon, that's what we we trust in. God, not only the leaders of the church, but also all of us. Oh God, we are in your hands. Psalm 63, verse 8 says, um, I follow hard after you, your right hand upholds me. That is, I pursue You, O God, and yet it's Your right hand that's upholding me. And it is the message of the Gospel of grace. May we never lose sight of the Gospel. That's what strengthens us and encourages us. May all of us long for that inheritance that we receive when we receive from the Lord Jesus. Well done, well good and faithful servant. Father, so I pray that You would strengthen me in my ministry. Pray You would strengthen Ryan and Brian and Darren in their ministry. Pray that our church here Um, would be a happy family. God, that we'd be a strong and solid church, one that loves you and serves you with all of our hearts for all of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.